All right. Well, this afternoon, and I thank you all for um, sticking around. I trust that we will um, all uh, stay awake. Um, I was just sitting here as we were singing these songs, and I was kind of starting to feel a little drowsy myself. So I I say a silent prayer for strength along with each of you to persevere to the end of the service this, this afternoon. So, and I trust it will not be too long. But if you have your Bibles with you, uh, if you could turn to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, and Lord willing, we will cover the first 17 verses of Luke 13. So, uh, my headline for today is Jesus talking about repentance and bearing fruit. Jesus talks about repentance and bearing fruit. And we, we, we talked a lot about um, judgment already today. And so we're, we're just continuing on uh, in, a, in a, a similar theme uh, as, we, um, as we go on into chapter 13. The interesting thing about the Bible, or one of the interesting things, it's kind of funny to say the interesting thing, but one of the interesting things about the Bible is that um, the verse, the chapters and the verses were put in by a man at some point. And so uh, these uh, verses, these chapters, are part of a continuing narrative. And so um, the any breaks that are in there are simply man-made. But so as we continue on, that's only to say that this is probably you know um, very uh, similar timing, and it relates very much to what we covered in the end of chapter twelve. So um, the first section here is uh, thirteen one to five, and it's um, Jesus uh, uses current events to point out our spiritual need. And before um, I dig into that, let's just go before the Lord one more time and ask for His mercy. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that You would bless this service to us, that You would um, show us what it is that You have for us to learn, that we would be changed people as a result of being here. And we thank You that Dr. Luke wrote it down so faithfully for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, let's, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because a lot of times when we go through the current events that we're going through and we see earthquakes or natural disasters or whatever, often people will point to that and they'll say, God's judgment is coming. And I definitely agree with some who say that that's overblown in the sense that not every natural disaster points directly to a judgment of God. But natural disasters are a reminder of the power of God and the fact that the God that we have to deal with is indeed very powerful. And as Jonathan Edwards said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And so we can uh, take these as reminders to uh, consider the things of the Lord at the very least. And so... And, but I noticed that Jesus 
kind of does that himself in the beginning of this passage. So let's read the first five verses. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or of those eighteen or of those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all the men in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And as I was studying this passage, I didn't really find a whole lot of insight into this event that is mentioned in the beginning here where Pilate um, mingles Galilean blood with sacrifices. but Because uh, it's not written about by any of the secular historians. As far as we know, the only place that is recorded is in Luke's Gospel. But what we do know from this is that Pilate was a ruthless dictator. Okay, he wasn't... Um, somebody that that was mellow and even when he realized that Jesus was innocent he did the political thing and had Jesus scourged and then crucified and interestingly enough when you read about that you will find in at least one of the gospels if not more it says and on that day Pilate and King Herod became friends for they had previously been enemies. And so Pilate was very politically minded. But what Jesus, and, and I think a lot of people might have thought, well, if we tell Jesus about this, then he'll start the physical revolution that we've been waiting for. He'll just go after Pilate and everything will be good. Instead, what he does is he says of these people and of people with another, from another natural disaster. He says, were, were they sinners above you? Did they have more sin than you that they should have been judged in this way? And he says, no, if you don't repent, you're going to perish in the same way. And I often think of the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9 where Jesus' disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that, the, but that the power of God may rest upon him and that the glory of God may be shown forth, my paraphrase. But the, and it, what, the point wasn't that his parents were perfect, but the point was that his parents, in no way did their sin directly cause their son being blind. That was, a, that was a common thing. Rather, he said, this man is blind so that the power of God may be shown through him. And I can say by word of personal testimony that when I was probably 15 or 16, uh, so this is after I had rededicated my life to Christ as a 14-year-old boy and had come to terms with the way God had made me, I used to go to homeschool skating parties. Um, and 
some that are homeschooled or have been homeschooled may, may remember that. But one time I was at the homeschool skating party and a, and a lady walked up to me and, and she said, can I pray for God to heal you? And I, I said, well, you can pray for me. I don't have a problem with that. And so she proceeded to pray for me that God would heal me because by his stripes we are healed. And she basically told me that if I had enough faith, God could heal me. And so I started crying out to God and I said, God, is that true? Do I not have enough faith? Are you, what are you doing? What's the point here? I thought I had come to grips with this and now it's staring me in the face again. And God led me to John chapter 9 where it's very clearly stated that neither the parents or the person sinned that they had this disability but that the power of God may rest upon him. And then he led me to uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul says, I have a thorn in the flesh. And I asked the Lord to take it away three times. And he said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And not only did Paul say, say I, I'm going to, to deal with my infirmity, I'm going to just bear up under it. He said, I'm going to glory in my infirmity. Why? Because his infirmity gave him the opportunity to see the power of Christ and for other people to see the power of Christ more powerfully through him. And that's the place where I found myself after going through three days of really tough depression. God brought me out and said, this is the story. This is your story. This is the story that I'm writing with you. And I, I only say that to say that a lot of times when we, when we see bad things happen to people, we think, well, they must be sinners. That's why I have them. But I would bring your attention also to the book of Job and his friends. First they do the smart thing. They sit with him for a week in dust and ashes and mourn with him. That's a great friend, right? Often when our friends are going through hard times, the thing I want to do is fix it. I'm a fixer. And so I always say, well, maybe this is the solution or maybe you should try this. Instead of I'm trying to do better at just being with them, holding them sometimes, crying with them, not necessarily offering solutions because they don't necessarily want solutions. They want somebody to listen to them and to grieve with them. And so Jesus is just saying to these people, despite these natural disasters, despite all this horrific stuff that happened, you're no better than they are. If you don't repent, you will perish like them. And uh, so we need to realize that as we look at, at the, 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 the physical things that happen in this world that are beyond our control and some of them are downright tragic that it's an opportunity to look above. An opportunity to say to God, I'm going to trust you to take and make beauty out of ashes. A couple of weeks ago on my podcast, I had the opportunity to interview a young lady who is the 
president and founder of the Abortion Survivors Network. I would encourage you to go to my website, uh, speakingforhim.com, and look up that interview and listen to it. This is a young lady whose mother was pressured by her grandmother to get an abortion. She was believed to be five or six months along, and saline solution was injected into the womb, and this baby survived it, and now she's a 39-year-old mother of two or three children. I don't remember exactly how many she has, but she has children and and a godly husband, and she travels around speaking and, and just proving the fact that God's mercy is new every day and that she was alive then, and she lived through this procedure, not because she was a blob of cells, but because she was a person made in the image of God. And we must remember that. If somebody could look up Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and read it for us, as we continue to contemplate this idea of having a deep spiritual need for Jesus to reach us, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, if somebody gets that, they can go ahead and read it for us. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of repression shall come from the presence of the Lord. So Peter is preaching in the book of Acts. Incidentally, in some ways this is the same Peter that denied knowing Christ, but with the power of the Holy Spirit he's a changed man. Peter in John 24 is not the same Peter as Acts, the early chapters of Acts. It's a different man, changed by the power of God. And he is saying, repent and be converted so that your sins may be blotted out so that you can have peace with God. And truly, today, Jesus says the same thing to us. Repent and change your ways so that God can bless you. If we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. Very important for us to realize the necessity of repentance now. The second point here is that after we repent, Jesus wants us to bear fruit. He's looking for us to bear fruit. Uh, Starting in in, uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 6, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth the ground? And he answered unto him and said answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it, and he dug it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then shalt thou cut it down. 
So, God's desire in the Christian's life is that they bear fruit. And I think often we think of this in terms of we've got to make this effort to bear fruit. And I, I, I do think there's effort involved, don't get me wrong, but I also think that often it, it's more about letting God work in our lives. Philippians chapter 2 says, For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. John chapter 10 says that if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. And again, as a kid, I'm, I'm thinking, when I read verses like that, I'm like, well, that means that if I want gallons and gallons of ice cream, or if I want the newest car, then God's going to give it to me. But as I grew older, I realized that your desires and your wants and your needs change. And as you draw closer to the Master, He lets you know what those good things are. And then when you're praying according to His will, then He can bless you. It is so very true. And... John the Baptist talks about bearing fruits meet for repentance. He says that if you don't, you will be cut off and cast into the fire. This is what, what he says. This is, it goes back to this idea of the judgment that we were talking about earlier. That um, we need to bear fruit. And the point that I am trying to bring forth is that if you are in Him, if you are a believer, you will bear fruit. Now, we don't all bear fruit at the same, uh, the same uh, speed. And we can do things to quench the Holy Spirit and cause fruit to not grow at the rate that it should. But we all are able to bear fruit, just as we all have gifts from God to benefit the body. Um, and just to underscore this idea, let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And this is the verses about the fruit of the Spirit. And as we read these, whoever gets there first can read it for us. But as we read these, think about what I said about the fact that these aren't so much things that we should try to do, although trying to do these things is not necessarily bad. They're not as much things we should try to do as they are results of living a life that is pleasing to God. Results of letting Him control our lives. Does somebody have this passage for us? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against these, there is no law. This is not the natural bent of our society. If we had a servant leader leading our nation that had the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, then we would be in a very good place and we should pray that God would raise up leaders that have these qualities. How do they come, though? It's not a natural thing. But God gives us the ability 
to have love and peace and patience. Everything that we are not, God is. Think about that for a moment. Everything that we are not, God is. And so everything we wish to become, God is, and He allows us the power to do that by His grace and through His salvation and His Holy Spirit. He tells us that He would give us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, which would guide us into all truth. He tells us the truth about who we are, which is the bad news, and then the truth about what we can become, which is the good news. These things work together. As we contemplate this idea of bearing fruit, consider this funny story. I once read of a little boy who used to escape his bedroom after being punished. He would crawl out of his bedroom window down an old fruit tree to the ground. One day his father told him that he was going to chop down the fruit tree because it hadn't borne any fruit for a number of years. That evening, the boy and his friend bought a bushel of apples and during the night tied these apples on the barren branches. The next morning, the man could not believe his eyes. He said to his wife, Honey, I just can't believe it. That old tree hasn't yielded any fruit for years, and it's covered with apples. And the most amazing thing is, it's a pear tree. <laughs> uh, so th- this, is a, this is a funny story, and obviously we know from what we read in the scriptures that if you have a good tree, it can bring forth good fruit. If you have a bad tree, it will bring forth bad fruit. You cannot bring forth apples on a pear tree. But that just reminds us that if we want to bear good fruit, if we want to bear the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to be plugged into the vine. In Colossians chapter 3, which we won't go through today, but you can look on your own time, there's a whole list of things that we are to put off. And then after we put off the bad, then we can put on the good. You know, often we get into trouble when, we, when we're trying to deal with a sin in our lives and we, we, we try to put it away from ourselves, but we don't bring in something good to fill the void and then we fall again. The taking off is important, but the putting on is just as important. That boy didn't want to lose his tree, his escape route. So he tied fruit to the tree to give the illusion of bearing fruit. And I doubt that he really fooled his father either. We are the same way. We can pretend to bear fruit. We can try to do all the good works in the world. But what God is looking for is a broken and contrite heart. And uh, so my hope for all of us, myself included, is that we would get plugged into the vine so that we could grow real fruit. Our third and final 
section today is Luke thirteen ten to 17. This is Jesus healing on the sick woman. And there's several interesting things we will find in this passage. Probably the first one and most striking is that it happens while he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and couldn't in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox and his ass from the stall, and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. <clears throat> and I like the detail that Luke gives us. Because a lot of times with faith healers, so to speak, they have plants. They have people that aren't really sick pretending to be sick and then they will pretend to be healed and everybody will get all excited and they'll think that they can be healed and all this stuff. But here Luke says, and behold there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no ways raise herself. And Luke is a, is a doctor. He's a physician. He's detail-oriented. So if he says that this woman had an issue for 18 years, guess what? She had an issue for 18 years. This was not a parlor trick. This was a lady that was suffering for a very specific amount of time and she couldn't lift herself up. We can apply this spiritually. Before we come to Christ... We can't lift ourselves up. We talked about earlier how when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. There was no way for us to raise up. And then Jesus calls to her and says, Woman, thou art loosed from thy infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue, I don't know if he, how well he knew this woman, but here she was, she'd been sick for 18 years, hadn't been able to stand up straight. She's standing up straight healed, and he doesn't say, wow, that was amazing. Instead he says, there are six other days in which you can come and be healed. He doesn't get it. The devil will tell you, especially if you're a young person, the devil will tell you you have all the time in the world to choose God. 
but we don't know how much time we have. We only know what we have today. That's it. And then Jesus talks about the necessary work that the Pharisees do, these people that aren't doing any work, the necessary work that they do in taking care of their animals. Because animals don't know it's the Sabbath. Animals aren't going to be like, oh, I know it's your Sabbath, so don't worry about feeding me today. Don't worry about giving me water. Don't worry if I fall into a ditch. Just leave me here because it's your Sabbath. I understand. No, they're not. God understands that certain work needs to be done. It's not about not doing work. It's about putting him first. Just like sometimes my brother has to work on Sundays. Why? Because the people at Rest Haven have to eat seven days a week. We need to make sure that we don't Uh, put rules above people. The Pharisees were so busy following the rules that they didn't realize that the ruler of all men was right in front of them. They watched a lady be healed after 18 years and their response was indignation. Why? Why? Because their hearts were far from him. Now, fortunately, it says, and when he had said these things in verse 17, all his adversaries were ashamed. So at least in this particular instance, they got it right. They realized that they had done the wrong thing. Now, I don't know what happened to the rabbi the, the, the leader who was the ruler of that synagogue, whether he trusted Christ or not, but at least for that day he was humbled and brought to his senses. And it says, all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. We read this morning in the breaking of bread, oh, that men would Give thanks unto the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works unto the children of men. We need to be a generation that gives thanks to God for all of our blessings, or they will be taken away from us. We have so much to be thankful for. May we learn from these lessons. Maybe you're that like that ruler who sees somebody reaching out and doesn't think that the person that is being reached out to is worthy. I've been there. Maybe you've also been where this lady was, where you struggled for years. You didn't have strength to redeem yourself, but then you met the one who can redeem all. 
and he changed your life. I've been there as well. We can look at Romans chapter 10, verse 2. Romans 10, 2. And then I have a brief illustration to close this afternoon with. But if someone has Romans 10, verse 2, and would like to read that for us, that would be great. That describes these Pharisees. And it describes some legalists today. Some people I know of think that they are called to be Jews. They try to eat kosher. They meet on the seventh day. They prioritize the Pentateuch. And it is the word of God. Don't get me wrong. But they fail to realize what Jesus said to the Pharisees when he, when he said, you put loads on the people that you yourselves aren't able to bear. What's the answer? The answer is that Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. A lot of these people are not at peace because they think they have to do, do, do. And Jesus is sitting here saying, it's done. The soldier's first article of faith is summed up nowhere more eloquently than in the 1865 letter from William Tecumseh Sherman to U.S. Grant. I knew wherever I was that you thought of me, and if I got in a tight place, you would come if alive. And of course, that's a letter from one mortal to another mortal. I have friends like that, thank the Lord, that I know that if I needed them, they would come. But how much greater is our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, who... Wherever we are, he thinks of us. And when we get in a tight place, he's there to lead us through it. My question for you is, have you experienced the peace of having him walk beside you through those tight places? You know, we all like the green pastures. We don't like correction. But I can personally attest to the fact that it's through the roughest patches of life that when I look back and I say, God did not let go of me. And I'm stronger because of it. Because when things are going all right, you start to think, well, hey, I got this life thing figured out. And then God shows you that you don't. What he does. This quote could be written from me to God. I knew that wherever I was, 
that you think of me. And if I get in a tight place, you will come because you are alive. Jesus Christ is risen. He's not in the grave. And we can know for a surety that he is with us. For he has said that he will be with us to the end of the age and that he will never leave us or forsake us. He was forsaken by God for a moment in time that we will never fully comprehend so that he can say to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a wonderful blessing that is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we are able to have these words from Luke in front of us. We thank you for his pen and and for the fact that you inspired it, that you helped him to know what to write, and that it's an encouragement to us today. Lord, we pray that we would leave here and share your word with others. Pray that we would impact the world as the apostles did and seek to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for our nation as we are close to choosing another leader that we would pray one that we would choose one who is in line with your principles and that you would bring a revival in the United States of America. I pray even now for our current president, Lord, that you would get a hold of his heart and that you would change it that you would show through him your grace of a life passed from death unto life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.